just be with uh, me as I as I preach the word today. Help me to help me to um, find the good things in your word. Help me to speak to the hearts of the folks who are here. Help me to point to Christ over and over again. Um, I I pray for um, I pray for your spirit to move through me and to to speak better than I would. Um, Lord God, I pray that you be with the folks who are here. Pray that you would hear from that they would hear from you. That they would know you more. That they would be filled with your spirit and and draw close to your presence um, through the hearing the word today in Christ's name, Amen. So, somebody changed the batteries in the clock, <laughs> but it looks like it's a little fast. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> it's actually a little slow. Um, <laughs> so every every morning, most of y'all have heard me talk about this. This is uh, my I've got a handful of things that I'm fanatical about in life, but um, every every morning my my fanaticism. Um, begins at four o'clock, so I can I can drink my first two cups of coffee, um, and then after I finish my first two cups of coffee, I I go to the gym. Um, it is a very rare thing for me to miss a day at the gym. I and in fact, if I do, sometimes I'll go in the afternoon. I I wasn't feeling well the other morning last week, and I overslept because I had a real bad headache, and I kind of felt sick and. I got up and I didn't, you know, I was like, well, I'm not, four o'clock's pretty early and I didn't get to sleep until late. And I said, well, I'll just skip tomorrow. And at about three in the afternoon, I'm looking at the thermometer and it says 98. And I said, you know, 98's not that bad. I could just go for a run outside. And and so I went out and I ran six miles around the neighborhood because um, I don't skip days because I'm fanatical. Everybody with me? Um so as I was preparing the sermon this week, I had a, a very convicting realization. Um, I've never, I mean, I never skip days. I didn't go to the gym this morning. I'll probably go this afternoon. Um, it is a very unusual thing. I go on Christmas. I go on Thanksgiving. I go on, um, I, I think I may have missed Easter last year, uh, just because, or this year, because it was a long day and I kind of just didn't. Um, but I, it, it's, it's very much the exception, not the rule. But I realized that on days when I oversleep and I'm in a rush because I'm going to meet somebody or because I, I have to get my workout done early because i got to run to town or i got to do this or i got to do that, like on those days, um, it's really easy for me to skip prayer time or reading scripture. And I've discovered it's easier for me to miss doing those things than it is for me to miss exercising. Is that weird? Like, it, it kind of is. I mean, like, if you think about it, um, I, my dad and I were talking this week about, about something. He's like, well, you know, you, you, you don't have to do all this. Like, you're not an Army Ranger. You're not going to fight for your life at any point. Like, none of this stuff is going to matter. Like, you just may not die as young as you otherwise would. Um, but then I thought, you know, there are things that are going to improve me, things that are going to grow me, things that are going to make me better and equip me far better than this. But but it's easy for me to miss those things in favor of this other stuff, and and really I I'm being you know I'm trying to be very open about my my struggles. But my realization here is I I train all the time, but training has benefits that aren't always you know like we we miss this. I study the scriptures eight hours a week about for sermons. Um, and, and it's very tempting to say that's enough, but it's, 
it's not growing personally. Does that make sense? Um, We're at the end of Psalm 18. I am ready for Psalm 18 to be over. Uh, This is a long 50-verse psalm. We have been in it for weeks. Uh, And this is largely about God preparing David for the tasks ahead of him. And and we're going to talk about this, and there's a lot of stuff to dig into. Um, And I'm going to try and do it justice, but I'm going to try and do it justice in a way that, that doesn't beat it to death. So we'll see how we do here. Um, a, a little background, the psalm so far has talked about God's greatness in protecting David, God's provision in saving David from danger, God's you know, ever-presence and his power, his majesty, his awesomeness, and all of this other stuff. And so like, that is what this is about, and it's kind of a psalm of praise. The previous psalms all were in kind of the same wheelhouse. All of the previous, like three or four, talked about God's, you know, God rescue me, God rescue me. And then this psalm is about, hey, guys, God rescued me, and it's awesome. Um, and the first two-thirds is straight up that. It is, you know, God charged out and, and pulled me out of, the, out of the deep waters and saved me from drowning and restored me and defeated my enemies and, and all of this other stuff. Like, but in context, like, this is the praise. Um, there's a funny little tension that plays in here, and that tension is, like, as we get into the psalm, you'll see it, his efforts and our efforts. You all with me? Um, let me make a couple things clear. You will not get to heaven on your own effort. You will not be acceptable to God by your own work. You will not try hard enough. You will not study enough. You will not show up to church often enough. You will not give enough money. You will not. It is utterly impossible to earn your way into God's good graces. There is no goodness or action that makes God love you more. Um, What makes us acceptable to God is is Christ dying in our place, Is, is him trading permanent records with us. When God looked on Christ, he saw our sin. When he looks on us, he sees Christ's righteousness. Because Christ was punished for our sins, we are forgiven, and we are made acceptable. After that, all of life is preparing to be right before God, preparing to do good works, preparing to be God's people on, you know, in the creation. Like, it is all preparation from that point forward. And so as we dive into this, understand this, like, God has done his part in Christ. God's Spirit fills us, and God's Spirit makes us better than we would otherwise be. Um, but we have a job to do. Everybody with me? We just have a job to do. I can't get up and preach the Bible. I can't get up and talk about these psalms if I don't know them. I mean, I probably could. I know a lot of preachers that do it. But like, <laughs> but like, I gotta study it and I gotta pray about it and I gotta, you know, like pour it into me and I gotta, you know, shake it up and figure it out. Like, like, this part is our job. And so as we get into this, he, we're going to get into this here, like, like he starts out, this is the very last little bit from the preceding section, um, where David says, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's law is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God beside the Lord, and who is the rock except our God? Um, so David starts out summarizing the preceding sections with, God's perfect. God's law is awesome. I know 
that the world is broken because I can compare it to what God's best is and I can know it's not right. I know that we weren't ever made to die. Like, people die. Y'all are aware of this, right? Like, all of us will probably do it eventually. Um, like, people weren't designed to die because when, when someone dies, it feels wrong and it feels messed up and broken. And there's this uneasiness in us because it's not what we're made to do. We were designed to be eternal. Um, and I know when I compare the two, what the truth is, I know when I compare Christ's attitude and his service and his love and the way that like I'm called to live, when I compare that to the way I live, I know I am, I am falling short. God is the ultimate standard by which everything else is measured. When you compare, you know, like, like this is the perfect version of it. You all with me? Um, and so this perfect version, everything else is working toward it. God protects us. God is flawless. His way is perfect. Um, and no one else can claim that. It is God alone. No one else is a refuge the way God is. No one else is powerful like God is. No one else created. No one else anything. Like, God is it. So we go on. And so David is praising God, and he said, It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Um, You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. And so David is writing this right after like this final battle with Saul where he like is finally brought out of exile and restored to the throne in Israel and like the people who have been attacking him and hunting him and trying to kill him, you know, like for decades are are all suddenly vanquished. And David is saying God has prepared this for me. God is, you know, like I, I fought this battle but I was only able to do it because God is on my team. Because God prepares me. Um a couple of really interesting textual notes. Uh, my arm can bend a bow of bronze. I do not bow hunt. And there's like half a dozen people in this room who do. I'm aware that pulling back the string of a bow is not easy. Um, but if you imagine that done with a solid bronze bow, it's probably a different animal, right? Like he is talking about Superman kind of strength. Um, David is describing himself as being literally undefeatable and actually there was a quote in this morning's Sunday school class that I wrote down because I thought it was pretty great it was uh, written by a guy who was a top gun pilot or it was the motto of the top gun pilots um, and their motto is today I am un- today I am invincible unless the Lord has other plans and I was like that is it that's exactly what David's talking about David is saying I work I train I fight I'm ready I'm strong and it is because God protects me. And it is easy to lose sight of that. It is easy to lose sight of the fact that I only do the right thing because Christ is in me. Um, I, I read a quote this week from uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. And he said, it is a blessing. I'm paraphrasing because I'm saying it wrong. It is a blessing and for your own protection that God keeps you low. Meaning, like, we don't rise up to the heights that we want because... If we did, we would forget that God does the work, right? We forget that God is, is carrying us. Um, you see this happen with ministers all the time where they, they lose sight of the fact that like they're Christ representatives and they're broken, fallen people and they begin preaching their own righteousness. 
they begin telling people how good they are. Or some of y'all know believers like that where um, their righteousness is totally rooted in comparing me to you and knowing I'm better than you. Anybody know folks like that? Don't point. Especially at me. Um, the point being like, like David is acknowledging, hey, I did this. I fought this battle. I was heroic. I did all this stuff. But it was God who brought me through it. Uh, three weeks ago, my son was taking swimming lessons. And um, he, at the last day of swimming lessons, they always have this deal where they make him go down the slide to prove that they're not scared of the water, I guess. I don't know. Um, and Titus, I, and I think he does it to manipulate me now. I think sometimes he's genuinely afraid, but he got it in his head. I'm scared to go down the slide, so I can't do it. And so I sat him down, and I looked at him, and I said, Titus, it's okay to be scared of stuff. You're going to be a man. You've got you to gotta face down things that you're scared of. It's okay to, like, lose. It's okay to fail. It's okay to all these things, but don't run away from things you're scared of. And he said, okay, Dad. And he went up, and he went down the slide. And I was very proud of him because he was, he was scared, and he did it anyway. Right? Like, I think sometimes, like, I think the Spirit fills us. The Spirit gives us the words to say. The Spirit moves in us. But sometimes God is in the background pushing us and saying, go do it. Go do it. Go do it. You know, do the right thing. Be my person here. And the Spirit carries us. But at the end of the day, like, from my perspective, i got to do it. Anybody ever had that moment where, like, after the fact, you could say, I think God carried me through that, but, like, I didn't feel him when I was going through it at the moment I was doing it myself. You know, those moments where we have to be courageous, those moments where we have to do the hard thing, where we have to say the hard thing, where we have to act in a hard way, where we have to jump and know there's not necessarily going to be something to catch us on the other side. Like, like God encourages, God challenges, God carries, but we have a job to do. We have to grow. We have to prepare. We have to train. Um, ministry is weird um, because this is very apparent to me in my daily life that how well I do my job is directly affected by my spiritual condition, right? If I'm not reading the scriptures, if I'm not praying for people who tick me off, not that any of you ever tick me off, um, if I'm not frustrated and like turning to God, if I'm not afraid and looking for shelter in him, like it affects how I do my job. Like, but the truth is that it affects all of you the same way. But, like, i got to get up and go to work. I mean, you can be wrong with Jesus and drive a tractor. But I don't think you can be right with Jesus and mistreat your wife. Does that make sense? We learn patience from Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us so that we can overlook the things that drive us nuts about each other. And you know what those things are, right? <laughs> like, like I, don't, I don't know what yours are. I know what mine are. Um, I read in my morning devotions, actually, this is one of those days where I spent all week praying and studying and feeling very lost as it related to this passage. And this morning, about a hundred things jumped out at me and screamed at me, hey, this is it. Book of Acts has this, uh, this line where it talks about the Holy Spirit showing up. This is Acts 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Um, and so the first thing the Holy Spirit did when he showed up was he united them, right? Like the first, foremost, biggest job the Holy Spirit played out, he made them believe, and then he united them as one. And so as we struggle, 
dealing with each other, the Holy Spirit binds us. The Holy Spirit makes us capable of saying, my way is not the most important way. Being united is more important. Right? I, I, a hundred, not a hundred years ago, because Francis isn't that old. Francis told me when she first attended this church, they were fighting over the color of paint to put on the walls. There was a, like a church fight. People were fighting over the color of paint. That's not scripture. That's not Jesus. That's not nothing. That's preference. I don't know anything about that time. And I don't think anybody except Francis is old enough to remember it, probably. Um, But the truth is that the Holy Spirit brings us past those things and, and helps us say, you know what, I care about whether or not these are orange walls, but the Holy Spirit's more important. Like, unity in the church is more important. Loving the way Christ loves is more important. Um, and so as we look at what David is saying here, the Holy Spirit enabled it, but there was a push there, man. There was strength involved. God carried him through it, but he had work to do. Um, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them so that they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their back in flight, and I destroyed my foes. Um, it would be really easy if, if the world was like this still. Like, this is, this is not what we're called to be as believers, right? Like you can look at this kind of metaphorically. You know, obviously David had a time and a place he had to do. I think there's a time and a place for, for things like this, but I don't think that the majority of our lives is this way. I don't believe that, that God is calling us to kill our neighbors. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I think the majority of the conflict we face is conflict with our own flesh and conflict with, like, temptation and conflict with um, Satan. Like, I, 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 as an adult, since I stopped working in mental health uh, seven years ago, um, I have not been in a physical violent altercation once. Not once, right? Now, I worked there for about nine years, eight years. Before that eight years and the, like, six or seven years it preceded, I was not in a single violent confrontation at all. Mental health is different because then crazy people, and, you know, usually it was me trying not to get punched. Um, but, like, violence, we just don't do this. This isn't the life we live. And so then either this has nothing to do with us or we need to back up and look at it and say, well, what does this have to do with us? Well, honestly, my biggest enemy is me. My biggest enemy is the time when I talk myself into hating the guy who lives across the street. Not you, Ronald Donald, I'm generally. Like, <laughs> my, my biggest enemy is my desire to hate people because they don't believe the same way I do. Or to be resentful of folks who say wicked things or act in wicked ways. And it's easy to be resentful, isn't it? It's easy to carry that burden of, like, anger. And at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit enables me to forgive and to love people who don't deserve to be loved. Is that instant? No. You actually have to work at it. <laughs> like, you actually have to work at it. I, one of the things I tell folks who are in marital conflict all the time, like, if you are struggling with your spouse and you don't like them anymore, you need to find a hundred different ways to serve them every day. And at every opportunity, serve them and love them and find new ways to serve them and love them and forgive them. And you do it every day over and over and over again. And guess what's going to change? You're going to change. But it takes work. It's not instant. It's just not. Um, what David is talking about here is the work involved in becoming who God designed him to be. Um, 
They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, excuse me, to the Lord, but they did not, but he did not answer. I beat them as a fine, as windblown dust. I trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people. You have made me the head of the nation, or of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners tower before me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They've come trembling from their strongholds. Now, again, big violent one. Most of us are not going to have to crush our enemies into dust. Just probably not. Um, however, now watch this. Um, I beat them in. I beat them as fine as windblown dust, and then I trampled them like mud in the streets. The phrasing here, the language, is associated with potters and clay. And the idea is, like if a potter would make a pot, right? Um, that that he has, and he decides, I don't need this anymore. What you would do is you would you wouldn't throw it away because like materials cost money, and so you would take it, you would break it down, you would crush it, and then you would add water to it and reuse it. Like a crushed pot can be reshaped into something different. Um, and there's this idea here where like this is a little more national, like where one nation has defeated those around them. Um, David is saying, look, I've defeated the people who were oppressing my, you know, Israel. And there were, I mean, it was a pretty nasty time. People did some nasty stuff. He's saying, I crushed them in such a way as to where they could be remade into something better. Um, People who are doing evil to my people now cower before me. They're afraid of me. And again, not because David's awesome, but because God is awesome. I have not yet met somebody who hated me that I could not win over by loving them. I have had days where I was not willing to do the work. But I have yet to meet somebody I couldn't change by loving them. Isn't that amazing? Um, I've seen it work. Like I've seen the teachings of Christ work. Like We can be different. The Holy Spirit can infiltrate the world around us, but it takes work on our part. We have to be better. Um, we have to be like Christ. The Lord lives, praise be to my rock, Exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalt me above my foes, and the violent man, uh, and from a violent man you rescue me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives the king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. Um, so this kind of closes out. He goes back from, like, God enabled me to do these things back to, like, my God is awesome. My God is amazing. My God protects me and saves me. And here again, like, it's easy to read this and say, oh, well, that means I need to be violent against my enemies. But um, we see where, um, to use Paul as an example, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, spent the last several years of his life in prison. And he was so difficult to deal with and to keep in prison because, like, he would be freed by angels and stuff like that, um, that they chained him to Roman guards. And these Roman guards were, like, sometimes really, especially Romans who worked in prisons were people who weren't good enough to do anything else. And they were usually the dumbest, worst, cruelest, most miserable people in the army. And Paul spent day and night chained to these guys, and he talked to them about Christ day and night. And he converted the palace guards. Like he converted all like the, the root of the church in Rome after Paul left 
was Roman soldiers, like the worst people. Um, we can read the story of Philippi where uh, Paul was in a prison in stocks. Now, stocks would have been a deal where, like, they would... You've seen the pictures, you know, where it's like a flat board that they close down and they put your hands and your feet in there. The idea wasn't to keep you from getting away. It was to make you sit in the most uncomfortable position possible so that your muscles began to knot up and you would hurt. It was actually the most passive, laziest way to torture a person you could come up with. And so Paul is being tortured by this jailer. He, and I believe it was Silas, but don't quote me on that because I'm working from memory at the moment, um, sang hymns as they were in stock. So like they're in pain and they're singing. And um, an earthquake happens, and the stocks are broken open, and the jail collapses, and they could get up and leave, and they just stayed there. And the, the jailer shows up and goes to commit suicide. He, would, again, would have been a retired military guy, a retired Roman soldier who tortured them, not because he'd been told to, but because it seemed like a good idea at the time, because there's no record of them saying, put them in stocks, it's just put them in jail. And so he tortures them just because he's that kind of guy <laughs> He shows up. He's about to kill himself because they're going to torture and kill him for letting his, his charges go, his prisoners. And Paul says, stop, we're still here. And then he tells him about Jesus. And the guy converts. Like he's like this evil person who tortures people and he converts. Um, Paul subdued his enemies by being like Jesus. Um, there are examples in the modern world of this, honestly, like... Um, I, I've quoted her quite a bit, uh, and talked about her quite a bit, but, um, I, I read, uh, Hiding Space a couple of years, Hiding Place a couple of years ago, which is about, uh, Corey Tenboom. And when she was first arrested in, in Holland and she was going to be tortured by an SS officer, the guy came in and she prayed and prayed, God, please don't let this guy torture me. Please don't let this guy torture me. And then she told him about Jesus and the guy broke down crying and didn't torture her. Like, <laughs> I mean... Is it always going to work that way? No. There are times that we're going to die. There's times we're going to suffer. There are times that people are going to do wicked, evil things. There are times that this broken world is going to, like, be broken. Um, And the amazing thing is that this world is not our home. I don't live here forever. I'm going to die eventually. Um, Hopefully I can kick that date down a little bit, but, like, I'm going to die. I'm not going to live on this planet forever, and neither are any of you. That car we bought the other year is going to rust, right? My retirement fund, if I wait long enough, inflation is going to make it nickels, right? Um, And it doesn't matter because I'll probably die before it's all spent anyway, and somebody else will spend it. Um, At the end of the day, this world is not my home. Eternity is my home. And so my victories are not in the now. My victories are with Christ, when I glorify God, when I point to Christ, and it's every person who comes to know him who goes with us. Everyone. Because we're living in a dying world, folks. You don't believe me, turn the news on. This is the week of bad news, right? Darkness and evil and wickedness and horribleness and people saying wicked, horrible things to each other and doing wicked, horrible things. But our victory isn't here. Our victory is an eternity. And every time we see that, it needs to be a reminder. This is a world that needs Jesus. This is a world that needs hearts changed in new life. This is a world that needs something better. It's not going to happen by force of arms. You will never, ever change the hearts of men with a pistol. You might stop it. But any idiot can do that. Christ calls us to change hearts and to change lives. And it begins with us.
And our training begins not by getting up and going running every morning, not by eating right, not by any of those things, not that those things aren't important. Um, As Paul said, physical training has value, but in eternity, like spiritual training is commendable. It serves all things. So how do we apply this? We're going to go through grow here. First off, we have to recognize that only God is perfect. The politician you love, the, the author, the preacher you, you like really like care about and believe in, like these are, these are men and they will never save this world. The only thing that we have is hope in that perfection, God's perfect way as David started this section of the psalm. He's the source of goodness and righteousness in the world. You want to make the world better, you spread Jesus. Like the whipped cream on the pie we talked about a few weeks ago. It's only good if it touches every part of the pie. Um, we, we have to recognize that our righteousness is in him. The surest way to screw up as a believer, the surest way to mess up as a follower of Christ is to brag about yourself, is to make it all about you and what you can do, right? I, I'm thankful that I'm a screw up in this respect because I can always back up and say, yeah, it's not me, it's him, Right? Only in Christ. He is our righteousness. He is our protection. He is what makes it possible for us to be strong. He is what makes it possible for us to be brave. We have stuff we got to do, but we have to understand as we give this to God, as we give our lives to him, as we submit to him, that we have to run to him over and over again. Um, and he, in order to be prepared to do good works, we have to be submissive to him. He's got to be in charge. That is hard, right? It's hard to let Jesus be in charge. Repent and renew. So how do we repent? Well, first off, we have to recognize that we fail to train. This is a hard awakening for me this week is waking up and realizing like, oh, wow, I skipped my devotions this morning, but I definitely worked out. Like I I skipped this in favor of that. Like I, I can so easily skip it. We have to recognize that we are called to train. We're called like that is, in fact, the Great Commission is um, going to all the world, making disciples of all nations, um, um, baptizing him in the name of the Lord. Anyway, I'm butchering it. Making disciples of all nations. Discipleship is training. It is learning. It is growing. It is becoming more and more dependent on Christ and pointing to him over and over and over again. Um, and we have to recognize that it's only in him. It's not us. It's not my wisdom or cleverness or how good I am with words or how strong I am in the moment. It is Christ. It is his spirit working through me. In fact, Paul went so far as to say, when I'm weak, I require God to do work for me. And so when I'm weakest, then I'm strongest because it's only in the Holy Spirit, only in Christ that I'm strong. Um, And we have to set our priorities right. Like if we fall out of harmony with that, like if we ignore his calling on us, if we ignore his, his, his um, teachings, if we ignore what we're called to do, like, like, like we cannot be right. And so we have to reprioritize when we recognize brokenness. Um, you have to own it, which means how do we own this? We train. I, I'm always astonished when I meet men who brag that they don't know the scriptures that well. Like I, I don't know the scriptures that well, but I study them all day, every day. Like, not as much as I should. Don't hear me bragging. I'm sorry. That was totally hypocritical of me. Look at that. Um, we learn to do better by ingesting it, by taking it in. And it's not just learning. It is imitating. It is acting. It is doing. Um, 
That's the daily training for righteousness. Serving people who are easy to serve is one thing. Serving people who annoy you is another. Serving people you hate changes your heart. Um, and it starts with little things. It becomes big things. And so learning to serve your spouse or serve your neighbor or serve your kids or serve whoever, learning to be humble and to love, like these are the little things that make it possible to do big things. And part of this is discernment. We have to like learn to see through Christ's eyes. And we learn discernment by reading the scriptures and growing in the spirit. Um, where do we work this in? We work it in by training. You have to do it. I, uh, I always tell folks, Jeremy's not here, I'm going to pick on him. During family camp, Jeremy and I went for a run. And I said, we're going to run four miles, we're going to see how it goes. And I told him, hey, I'm old, old man, don't leave me behind. And, and Jeremy tried really hard, and I finished a few minutes ahead of him. Because as hard as Jeremy tries, I train. Right? And I've been training longer. And training will always be trying hard. When you try to serve Christ in the moment, when you try to do this, you try to do that, these are a big, trying's important, but training is a bigger deal. We train daily. We look for opportunities to apply Christ's teachings. We look for ways to like insert that into our daily lives, into our relationships, into our everything. Um, I'm at 30 minutes right now. By the way, I am not running that long. This is right about the normal length. Um, so we practice looking. Honestly, looking for ways it is so easy to ignore everything in the world around us, right? It's easy. It's easy to sleep through life. Um, and we look for ways to serve. We ask God, what are ways that we can serve? You could ask me. If you want to you serve this world, you want to serve this kingdom, you want to serve Jesus' cause in this community, come ask me. i got about a hundred different ways. Just take a minute to write a card to Charlene before you leave. It's a tiny little thing, but loving a sister in Christ is a big deal. And it is a step in training. You want to know it another way, like give her a call. You could talk to Terry about helping out with the food bank. You could talk to Jeremy about helping out with the youth group. You could talk to me, and I'll give you a hundred different ways that we need to serve this community, that we need to love folks, ways that we can apply the gospel, we can train for better things. Um, and then finally, on the night Christ was betrayed, I'm going to call my guys forward. Um, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took his bread and he broke it. One of the last ways we train, one of the last ways that we prepare, is we understand, like, and we have to remind ourselves daily, it is not our own effort. It is Christ in us. It is not our own work. I am not righteous on my own. I'm not good on my own. And so on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took his cup and he offered it to his disciples. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. I know I got it backward. This is my blood poured out.